I was thinking the Mac Pro design speculation. That could be pretty much any time before WWDC, probably. Every every time, every day is Mac Pro speculation day. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. <f> <laughs> me. <laughs> I was thinking too. Like I like I probably like we probably have done too much Mac Pro stuff recently, so it could, we could use it like a few weeks break from that. Oh, thank God. Disagree. We should start with follow up. Peter Van Brookhoven. Uh, has some thoughts about Apple's hesitation to do battery replacements. And he writes in that um, one of the reasons that they really don't like to do battery replacements is that if they can't get the battery out cleanly, then they'll replace the whole phone, but they'll do it for the cost of just that battery re replacement. So um, he said he had an older phone, I think he said like a 5S or something like that, that he still was running on the original battery, went to the Apple store, um, he asked them to replace the battery. They botched it. And so he got himself a, a brand new 5S for 90 whatever dollars or $30, whatever the cost is now. Uh, and that, that explains to me anyway why they're super reticent to, to be doing battery replacements unless they're really sure it's necessary. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, even if you're willing to pay, like, oh, well, you know, just take my money. I'm willing to pay for the battery replacement. It's like, yeah, but this battery replacement could change from even from an $80 bill with the old price into something that costs Apple, you know, several hundred dollars to give you basically a brand new phone because they couldn't get the battery out. But it could be argued, well, Apple, it's your own stupid fault for making phones that you can't get the batteries out of without destroying them. So maybe the next time you design a phone, make it easier to get the battery in and out. And they probably have because he's talking about a 5S and there's been many phones since then. And so designing designing phones for serviceability is, I think, something that Apple has been I think it's probably like an arc. Like the first ones were probably reasonably serviceable just because they were simpler. And then they probably got a lot less serviceable as they got thinner and more complicated. And I feel like now they're going in the opposite direction of, yeah, we want to make them thin and compact, but also try to do the best we can for serviceability. So really Apple is, you know, they're just making problems for themselves. If they continue to make things that are always glued together and have little ribbon connectors that are all taped and glued on with adhesives that age and everything like that's, that's their own fault. So I feel like they have to either just eat this cost or do better about making serviceable phones because they're the ones servicing them. Moving on, uh, we have some news about iOS 11.3, which we'll talk about later. But one of the things that's come, over, come out over the last week is that 11.3 will let users turn off the battery performance throttling. And I don't really understand this. Like, if the choice is your phone spontaneously dying or just being very slow... I'll go with very slow, but I say this from the position of not really had a phone that's gotten this performance throttling, so maybe I don't really understand how unbelievably unbearable the throttling is. But regardless, 11.3 will add new features to show the battery health and recommend if a battery needs to be serviced. That'll be found in settings battery and are available for the iPhone 6 and later. Furthermore, users can now see if the power management feature that dynamically manages maximum performance to prevent unexpected shutdowns, which was introduced in 10.2.1, is on, and whether and they can choose whether or not to turn it off. This feature can be found in settings battery as well, and is also available from the 6 and up. Yeah, this. so this is not a great fix to this problem or solution to this need to users. It, it is possible that they needed to do it this way to have that off switch uh, for some kind of legal or lawsuit or regulatory compliance reason. You know, they've gotten a lot of crap for this from a lot of different places, a lot of different countries. Um, but just as a user experience, having a switch to let your phone randomly shut down seems very un-Apple-like and, and not a great experience. But ultimately, I think... And, and 
it, it seems like this is very much a like you know Steve Jobs, you're holding your iPhone four wrong kind of response from Apple. You want a free bumper? Fine, take a free bumper. <laughs> We've heard it from a lot of people. Why don't you just give everybody a case? Okay, great. Let's give everybody a case. Yeah, like it. Their their general response and tone with this is not good. That interview Tim Cook gave. I think it's better than the Steve Jobs tone, don't you think? Because he was actually pretty obnoxious and snarky, and everything. Every communication I've seen about this has been fairly magnanimous and understanding. May, the feature itself may seem snarky, but I don't think the communication has been Steve Jobs level. You want a bumper? Fine, here's a free bumper. Uh, I I thought the 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 Tim Cook quote about it in that interview a few days ago was was pretty bad. Oh, people people not understanding yet. Tim Cook had a couple of statements to the media, but like I, honestly, Tim Cook should not talk to the media. Like I really he he does. <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly I'm serious. Like he does not come off well in these kind of interviews. Whenever he's asked anything of substance, it it does not come off well. Well, usually his problem is that he's just bland and doesn't say anything, right? So that's. But this is a, a rare case where he showed a little bit of teeth and was like, "I just think maybe people just didn't really understand or weren't paying attention." It was just such BS. Like that's why he should not open his mouth. But most of the time, it's merely what he says has no new information and it's just kind of platitudes, <laughs> right? So yeah, right. The platitudes one isn't harmful, and I think maybe that's actually a good way to communicate with the people in those venues. But it's not like Apple fans, you know. It's, it's just like whoever is watching, you know cnn or whatever or whatever you know news network he's on at that moment i think that's a fine communication it's boring we're not interested in it and he's not gonna say anything new uh the snark shows little personality but not when he's you know off base but i think that the strangest bit of communication this actually started in follow-up as a story about tim's communication it changed into now that we have the actual release notes for the 11.3 beta into you know more concrete story but the the original story was Tim Cook was on a news show, and yeah, he did his normal platitudes that he normally does, just sort of saying, speaking in generalities about stuff that uh, close Apple followers already knew. But then he mentioned something about being able to turn off the battery throttling. And that's not what Apple's press release said, like way back when, when they talked about this. The press release said, oh, we're going to have new battery information and, you know, all this stuff. But it didn't say anything about being able to turn it off. So it was like, is he, like, misremembering what they plan to do? Maybe they talked about having an off switch and he's just misremembering it. So it's like, no, he's much more controlled than that. But then he's, like, essentially breaking Apple news on a random cable news channel. Like, he pre-announced features of the iOS 11.3 beta, like, a couple days ahead of time, which is weird for Apple. Uh, so the original story was going to be, was, is he misremembering or is this a thing they're going to do? But now the story is Tim Cook is breaking news about Apple on cable news <laughs> shows. Which is weird. Well, I mean, I, I think that's his prerogative. Oh, yeah, no, it's totally up, but it's 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 definitely a change. It makes me wonder, like, is, is that like the new version of the controlled leak to the Wall Street Journal, where they just send Tim out and tell him to say that? I mean, this is not the first time that an Apple executive has, like, broken some news in an interview like this that, that seems pretty clearly, you know, planned that way. I mean, um, minor news. It's not big news, but still. Oh, honestly, that is minor news. I mean, it, like, the, the big news was the problem at all. The, the how, they're sl- how they're solving it in these various ways is fairly small news. But I, I do think, though, just going back to, this, to the, the actual feature and solution here, I don't think this is quite enough. What this is basically saying is, if this is happening to you, we will now display that in this settings battery panel that nobody ever knows about or goes to. Um, and, you know, we'll display it there, and, and so you'll be able to check there to see if it's happening. That's not good enough because most people will never think to check there or won't know how to check there or won't, you know, like they just think my phone is slow. I need to buy a new one. Uh, So really, I think users need to be notified in some way 
when their phone reaches a state in which the setting is turned on for them. And and I tweeted this earlier. A lot of people mis- misunderstood. I, didn't, I wasn't clear enough. I'm not saying that like every time the CPU gets throttled, they should get another notification. <laughs> that would be a lot of dialogue boxes. Yeah. What I'm saying is that at some point, when when your phone has reached some kind of metric as measured by the battery or whatever, at some point, this setting gets turned on for you without you knowing that needs to be a user notification when that happens. And it might be. Like, to be clear, we don't know that that's not happened. Just the release notes just say that there's a setting. For all we know, there is a notification and there is a battery indicator in the status bar. Those things could both be true. They just, you know, might not merit mentioning here. So the only way, unfortunately, the only way we'll be able to find out, unless there's a way you can do this in simulator, is for someone to have a phone that's on the threshold between, like, they'll go to the battery setting screen and they'll say, ooh, I'm, I'm right on the border of where it's going to yell at me if they show some kind of bar graph or something, and then just abuse the phone until it crosses that threshold and see if you get uh, an alert of any kind. And in a surprising stroke of good news for John, your ancient cheese grater is running LCAP, is it not? It is. And you got a little present recently. Tell me about this. I didn't get it because I haven't installed it, but uh, Meltdown <laughs> Inspector fixes have been backported all the way back to El Capitan uh, and Sierra, and of course High Sierra, which is I think standard. What they usually do is they backport it to a few recent versions. If you're much farther back than that, you don't get the fix. I almost don't want to install the fix just so I can get that extra speed, which I so desperately need in my <laughs> ten year old computer. Yeah, this uh, will push but, you over the edge. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't I haven't installed it yet. But anyway, uh, in case you were wondering, uh, yes, the the fix is backported. I already have the Safari update, which I feel like is you know maybe just as important because the main vector through which unknown software runs on my computer is probably the web browser. We are sponsored this week by SRC Incorporated. Engineer new possibilities. Visit srcinc.com slash ATP. SRC Incorporated is a research and development company headquartered in Syracuse, New York, with offices all around the United States. SRC is hiring digital software systems and test engineers, along with a slew of other positions. You can visit srcinc.com slash ATP to explore their career options. SRC engineers are redefining possible in the areas of defense, environment, and intelligence. Their radar and electronic warfare technologies are currently helping to protect warfighters from a variety of threats, including roadside bombs, enemy artillery, and drones. In addition to a, comp- to a competitive salary, SRC offers a stellar benefits package, such as a 10% employer contribution for retirement. That's awesome. 10% of your pre-tax salary gets contributed to your retirement fund. That is really good. They also give employees four or more weeks of paid time off per year. That's also amazing. And 100% tuition support for continuing education. Man, I should work there. At SRC, engineer the life you want for you, your family, and your community. With great benefits and support, you'll be able to contribute to something that really matters. Your ideas are valued. Be innovative. Be you. Together with SRC, you can save lives and design a better future. Engineer new possibilities. Visit srcinc.com slash ATP. That's srcinc.com slash ATP. Thank you very much to SRC Incorporated for sponsoring our show. So we got some news over the last few days. Uh, We've gotten some news about iOS 11.3, but we're going to talk about that a little later. But perhaps more interestingly, he says with little confidence, the HomePod has been officially, officially announced. It will start shipping on February 9th. The pre-orders will open, or I guess it's not really pre-orders. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the orders will open this coming Friday, which at this point may have already happened by the time you're listening to this. And we don't really know a whole heck of a lot else. 
this is the kind of product that theoretically I should be excited about. Uh, many of us, I think, should be excited about this. Uh, but it just seems like it's had such a clumsy release cycle, and we know so little about it that it's really hard to get excited about it because it seems like it's you know it's coming out late, and some key features are not launching yet. They're they're coming you know later this year or whatever, um, and we still don't really know much about it. There's still no reviews. There are. There, there has been no like you know hands on or anything. There was a very brief press demo last last summer at WWDC when they announced it, but it was extremely limited. And there was no speech; it was just music playback. Um, so it was. There's some really big question marks about this product that we just don't know yet. Now we could we could listen back to this in a, in a few weeks when when people have this, and it's amazing. And we could listen back to anything we say now and be like, lol, they were so wrong, we were so wrong, I can't believe we all thought this product would be weird or suck. Um, you know, it, it could turn out amazing, we don't know yet. Um, but it, it, it's just weird that there's this product that I think a lot of us thought would be a major product launch that is kind of just like stumbling out the door in, in this clumsy fashion and it's going to launch incomplete. In its state on launch day, there are so many missing features and limitations that I think the potential market for it is not going to be that big. Now, over time, as they lift these limitations, we'll see. You know, it's probably going to get popular eventually. It might not, but but I, I think the chances are more likely than not that it will work long term. It's just weird that it's launching in such a in such a clumsy fashion and in such an incomplete state. And I still question why it had to be announced last summer. I don't, I don't question it that much because. Like this is this is a market that Apple has is late to. Like other, its other competitors, you know, Amazon Echo was obviously the first. Let's all talk to our cylinder, and it was out there for a while before Google launched its clone. And now Google's been out for a while, and finally Apple handles. And those are the big three tech companies. And Apple, you know, took the longest to decide. Yes, we're going to make a cylinder that you talk to that that connects to our streaming music service, right? And so everyone else has a big head start on them. Uh, everyone else was shipping. Uh, a couple of companies have had multiple revisions and multiple products and diversified their product lines. Even Google has a big one and a little one now and an even bigger one that sounds fancy, right? So other companies have not just done the product for longer, but have had more revisions. And this is a case where it just seemed to me that Apple, I mean, Apple's very often late to a market, right? But in this case, Apple, it seemed like it felt self-conscious, like, we're late, but we want you to know that we are. We do want to compete in the market, but we're not ready yet. So they had to like pre-announce it. Now I think they pre they didn't expect it to be this late, right? So you make your bet. And you're like, oh, we can announce this now, and we think it'll be ready. You know, not that long from now, like within the window of like reasonableness. But obviously they they've missed that window, and it's pretty darn late at this point. And you know, how can it be late if they never told you exactly when it would be available? Just in terms of you know, practically speaking, if you have a such a limited pre-announcement of a product and then say nothing about it for like six months, It's that's not good timing. It's not good PR. You want to get people interested about a product and slowly dole out news building up to a launch, not show people barely anything and then don't say anything about it for many, many months. That's, that's just bad PR. So that's why, that's why we say oh, it feels like it's late, that if you had a choice, that's not how you would do a PR rollout. So, you know, why did they announce it so early? If it, To me, my, my read on that is, they felt pressure to get in, get their foot in the market ASAP, put their quarter on the video game machine or whatever. So I've got next, right? 
we're going to be there and not just like in a vague way but here's the actual thing we're going to ship it looks like this it sounds like this it probably does other things but don't ask us now right and they had an opportunity to announce that and so they did um and i think that is you know it's a sign it's an acknowledgement that apple agrees with us that they are behind and late in this market versus a more confident apple that could say yeah other people have done stuff but we think all the solutions they've done are crappy and we don't feel any pressure to tell you that we're going to enter this market we're going to show you our awesome thing when we're ready to see it doesn't matter how late we are that's the other strategy they could have taken and they have with many other things but not with this with this one they said we really feel like we need to tell you that we're going to be in this market with this thing so that is not a confident move uh that doesn't that doesn't project confidence anyway uh, and what they had to demo was not like they didn't have anything to say or demo that knocked our socks off either so it was kind of weird and now now that they're going to roll this thing out it's like a major new product line that will end up rolling out without apple ever having gone up on a stage and told us all the things that this product can do because they went up on a stage and told us very limited things about this product specifically about the audio but not much else and then many many months pass and then here's the product right and people will get you know reviews i'm sure there'll be reviews coming out of the thing around launch time or whatever but never did apple go up in any side of special press presentation or anything and say let's just run down everything about this they do with all the phones with all the ipads even with most of the macs here's all the features here's all the specs here's all the things about this thing here's what it can do they never did that for this product which is weird um even something like a hobby product like the apple tv they went up on stage and said here's apple tv you know this is what it does this is what it looks like this is how much it costs it runs you know mac os 10.4 inside don't tell anybody um it's uh, mac os 10 10.4 i know too many tens um <laughs> they didn't do that for this product at all so yeah i'm, I'm kind of the same mind, mind of marco this could be awesome and everybody could love it and in particular if i'm trying to think of how ways that this product could be awesome that we are underestimating right now is potentially uh just the the hardware that the stuff that apple has shown they've shown like oh it's got speakers and microphones and blah 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 um well and and like their engineering in regards to audio and sound quality in recent years has been awesome like they have they've dramatically improved the speakers in most of their products that have speakers <laughs> including uh, the phones yeah including the phones like like they they've really done a lot in in the areas of audio and speaker engineering recently so I have full confidence in in their proclamations that it is going to sound amazing, that it is going to be super advanced in the way it measures a room and, and bounces sound off of walls. I bet it will sound amazing. But that is just one aspect of this product, and there are so many other ones that either sound kind of bad or that are just giant question marks. Yeah, and like the thing about this product is I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, it does this track with like the Apple TV. The thing about the Apple TV is... They didn't get the hardware right for a long time. They took the wrong approach, the wrong OS, the wrong size. The, you know, the really early one was like a little bit too early. The puck, I think they hit on with everybody else, the the better size and price for this kind of a product. Then they took too long to come up with 4K. But now that they've settled down, like hardware-wise, it's reasonable, especially now that they have frame rate, rat, frame rate matching more on that in a little bit. Um with this product, I feel like it's possible that they have more or less gotten the hardware right on the first try. That the the, the sound output looks 
impressive and you know can justify the price because it's got a lot of little speakers and a lot of hardware to be able to do all the magic to make it sound good i think it also has a lot of microphones uh and it hopefully does a good job with them which is the other important part of this hardware uh it's taking a clear stand about what it's supposed to be you know not having a screen of any kind it's basically speakers and, and a microphone the software side is where we we know they have gaps because here's features that they they sort of talked about but aren't even going to ship until later but it is possible that apple can essentially slowly catch up without actually revising this hardware but merely by shipping regular software updates to make this thing more and more capable and improving siri and all the other stuff behind the scenes like in other words do you think after the ships there will be some kind of pressing need for a revised home pod i think this hardware could potentially last a long time they just have to update the software so that's not it's not ideal right but it does mean that if they can sell these things and then improve them over time they can build up some loyalty by people. Yeah, I bought this product and it was limited and now it gets better and better as I use it. And a year from now, they could be selling the quote unquote exact same HomePod and it could be a way better product than it is now because I don't think that there's some essential hardware feature that this doesn't have. And especially if the audio is really good, it could, you know, certainly it will have better sound than like the $100 things like an Echo or a cheap Google Home. Maybe it'll even have better sound than an even more expensive Sonos. It's just a matter of them getting their software story together and they can do that not at their leisure, but they can do that without revising this product, you know, essentially. So who's going to get one? I don't know. I was just about to say, like, I'm sure knowing me, I will end up buying one because this is the moment, as always, that I say, oh, I don't really think it's interesting to yeah, me. You have to because we all have cylinders, but you. So you're cylinderless. So you need to we'll cover the whole <laughs> ecosystem. Marco will have Amazon, I'll have Google, and you'll have Apple. Also, like until I have a way to interact with it as a developer, I don't think I'm going to buy one because there's not a place in my life where this makes sense right now. And and of course that might change, but right now, like given its current limitations, like one of the big things is, yeah, maybe you can replace your TV's speakers with it. Well, you can't have a stereo pair yet, right? So like because AirPlay two, which we'll get to in a little while. AirPlay 2 is not yet shipping. So one of the things you can't do is have a stereo pair of these things acting as you know two stereo speakers. Um, so that that rules out a lot of that already. And it also, there's no line-in. Like, the only way you can receive audio is either via Siri playing things from Apple Music or via AirPlay. And right now, just AirPlay 1, which has some limitations and everything. But And one of the limitations, by the way, is a fixed two-second uh, latency. So even if you do some kind of crazy thing where you have something beaming other audio like from your other home theater components via some kind of airplay bridge to this thing it would, the, the latency would be too high even for tvs to compensate for it so there's basically no good way to get the rest of your audio from your tv to this the apple tv can allegedly airplay to it and, and use it as speakers and that's probably going to be nice for you know airplay 2 when that comes out that's going to be low latency and everything but that's so, so like you could do it if the only input that to your TV, like if the only source of sound that you want to hear from this is an Apple TV, you could theoretically have that kind of setup. But if you have anything else, a game console, other streaming boxes, a DVD player, a Blu-ray player, like if you have anything else that you want to plug into this, you're out of luck. 
um, a Sonos Connect bridge, maybe. But it's do like, pe- do people use the competing devices? This because I would never think about playing my TV through this. I also wouldn't think about playing my TV through an Amazon Echo or through a, a Google Home, even the big speaker one. I also wouldn't play my TV through any of the little Sonos things. Yes, yeah, Sonos makes a sound bar that I'd play my TV through. Sonos makes a sound bar, and the sound bar can also use the little Sonos speakers as satellite speakers. So mm, you can, so, yeah. and people do that. Uh, so. Sonos has solutions to this. Other spe- and like I feel and you know Amazon and Google Home I, I feel like the the kind of speakers that they sell in volume uh don't really lend themselves to this. They're too small, but it doesn't really matter cuz like they're more made for like a kitchen or a counter or something like that. But if you're going to have a larger and more expensive speaker that focuses on sound quality, one of the big places you'd put it is in is is for your TV. Like you'd replace the speakers for your TV. This isn't that much bigger though. It's, well, it's not that like I'd say it's in between. I don't even think it's as big as the Google big speaker, whatever they call that one, the big rectangular Google one. I think it's smaller than, than that. Like I, I'm trying to recall seeing a WWC and I think I was struck by how much smaller it was than I thought. Certainly bigger than an Echo and also bigger than the than the like traditional uh, little uh, Google Home thing, not the mini, but the regular size. The one. air freshener. But I don't I don't I don't think it's as big as the Sonos play five i don't know uh when when casey gets this we'll ask him to measure Mm -hmm. but regardless so like for the market they're selling to which is sound quality and middle kind of the middle of the price range there um i think a lot of people would want it to be that home theater role and and it can't do that um so again that limits the market it also limits the market that it only supports apple music um and not other streaming services so far and other streaming services can airplay to it but so far they won't be able to do siri and now I kind of wonder if I'm ever going to get Overcast Siri intense because anything that would enable Overcast would also enable Spotify, and maybe they don't want that for the HomePod. Maybe they want to sell the HomePod only for Apple Music and you know lock that together and you know to boost the sales of Apple Music. So this is like the uh, we talked about this before with the cylinders and stuff, but this is like the omnivorous box TV problem all over yep. again. What <laughs> what what consumers want is a speaker. Uh, like a, some kind of speaker thing that they buy that they can talk to that can also play any audio from anywhere, right? And nobody offers that. It's all a bunch of a bunch of islands, you know. It, it, some some of them come close. Like I think the Sonos can play a lot of stuff, but can't can it do Apple Music by voice command? I don't know. Yes. Oh wait, no. But by, it can do Apple Music. I don't think it can do it by a voice command yet. Yeah, it's so, it, it's a weird integration. The, the the Sonos product has weird limits. But but Sonos is getting closer because Sonos doesn't have a dog in the streaming service fight. So like whatever, we'll play Amazon service, we'll play Google Play Music, we'll play Apple Music if all those companies will let us. But everybody else has their own preferred streaming service and is at varying degrees restrictive. You know, or you know, they're not letting each other play in each other's stuff. So it's not like you can just pick <laughs> the speaker you like best, right? And say, oh, I'm just going to pick this speaker because it looks it looks the best and it sounds the best, which would be good for Apple, like. If Apple's going to compete on audio, they could say, look, we, we have the best sounding speaker, the best balance of speaker performance and price, $350 for something that so- sounds better than a $500 Sonos. Buy it. But if it also comes with, oh, but the only things you can hear over it are this very, very limited set of things we allow you to hear. No, no, like you said, no line in and stuff like that. Although, honestly, I still think that it's not an intended purpose for this thing to be a, a TV speaker, but a stereo speaker, like, hey, this is the sound system for my small apartment, and, and I could play my music on it. Well, that's the thing. Like, if they're going to promote it as as audio quality, you can't connect, like, a CD player or... Uh, or can like, even click your record player. Yeah, like, honestly, people <laughs> would, if this is truly going to appeal to people who can drop $350 on a speaker who want something cool and nice and hip for, their, for a part of their home that isn't their TV... 
a lot of people would want to connect a vinyl player to it. Like, or people want to connect other. Oh, you're still doing vinyl player. Sorry. I can't tell if you're, uh, tell uh, if you're doing it as a joke. I think you're not. Sorry, a turn player. Um, so they, turn <laughs> that's table. a joke. Oh my god, Marco. Uh. This week at Marco's Vinyl Arc, because uh, uh. you know they don't have corners, so the arc. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, people want people want to connect other components to something to to really good speakers. Sure, not all people, but like what I'm saying is basically like this market is being limited by the limitation of this device. I think pretty severely. Like it's really, I think this this device is very boxed in right now with its limitations. Like it's appealing to people who like to listen to streaming music via voice, but only Apple Music. And the voice service is probably going to be a little bit iffy because that's how Siri has been. Um, so it's going to be probably a mediocre voice service. It's not going to have a lot of integrations with other things that we tend to use these for, like you know various smart home uh, devices and everything. It'll have some, but it's not going to have as much as an Echo or things like that. Um, it's not going to have almost any third-party services that can integrate with it. Um, anything you ask it to do that is not playing music is probably going to fail mysteriously in weird ways because that's how Siri tends to operate. Even if you get it just for Apple Music or for AirPlaying stuff to it, which is going to be clumsy for the next six months or so, it has. this is for people who are okay spending that amount of money on it, who don't already have other kinds of um, you know speakers that, are, that also sound good, and who don't want a stereo pair because it can't stereo pair yet. So it's like you care about sound quality, but not enough to have a stereo pair. And so like, it's just, again, it's just more and more boxing in, boxing it in, boxing it in, boxing it in. So I think it's going to start out pretty slowly. And maybe in a year, it'll have all these features and it'll be much better. And maybe there'll be another model that's a different price or a different size or something that would expand the market a little bit more. Uh, but I think it's going to have a really slow start. Yeah, some of the other Apple-specific features are like, all right, so granted, we don't have a lot of third-party stuff, but what can it do that no other device can do, aside from, you know, obviously very tight integration with Apple Music and, of course, Siri. Uh, handing off your phone call to the HomePod is apparently something else you can do, obviously from your iPhone only, but if you're on a phone call that you start on your iPhone and you come into the house and you want to hand it off to the iPod for a speakerphone conversation, which I think is a good application of a good speaker and a good set of microphones so you can wander around talk and pace like an important executive as you discuss things uh that's something other devices don't have uh, and of course they're playing up the privacy angle of like we're not going to upload every single thing you say to our servers and keep it there forever uh and all that business um and they do try to tout uh that anyone can talk to it and that it can play things from apple music even if you're not there which is something so absurd that i wouldn't even think about it until apple reassured me that it's not the case like Oh, I guess they could have done that. Boy, that would have been dumb, but they're not. Well, but there um, is a big question mark on that, though. It can play Apple Music when you're not there, but apparently it does a lot of the Siri processing on the phone, on the, on the phone that's paired to it, and it's only one person's phone, of course. So the question is, how much can it do if that phone, like, so suppose the phone that's paired to it is your spouse's phone, and your spouse leaves the house. How much does, does this function? We don't know. Yeah, there's also the question that a lot of people had of and people like me who are not yet in the streaming music world, but who have their own music collections. So I have my music collection on my phone, which consists of things ripped from CDs plus things purchased from iTunes. My wife has her collection. My kids have their collections. I have my giant fish collection. Right. What if you want to play something from one of those collections that doesn't exist on Apple Music? Is there any mechanism for that? I think your only option is to airplay it from iTunes or your phone. But you can't. the HomePod can't call it up via voice. 
Right, but Apple, in my case, since I'm an iTunes Match subscriber, Apple has all of my music in the cloud, and it knows it belongs to me, but I'm pretty sure the HomePod has no idea that I'm talking to it. Like, that, that feature is only recently... No, you're, you're in the services division. That's uh, that's the world of walls and silos. That's like... <laughs> yeah. your, your, your iTunes Match silo is over there rotting in the corner with really big, thick walls nobody can get into, so they built this new silo over here for Apple Music and other, other stuff, and God knows what's going to be next, and it's, you know... Don't expect any of this stuff to talk to each other. Yeah, so, but we don't know what all the limitations are, but it seems like there's a lot of them. But I still keep coming back to if they got the hardware right and if all all the speakers and the microphones are all great, there's no reason they can't knock down these limitations one by one and eventually have a competitive product. And I keep comparing it to Apple TV because they didn't have the choice with Apple TV. They got the hardware so wrong in the beginning. It took them a long time to get it right. Uh, And now I feel like they're finally at the, you know, the the fat part of the curve with the Apple TV where they can start knocking down the software features and, you know, becoming competitive. Yes, they're premium price, but now they have some, you know, they they have 4K support. They have, uh, you know, features that video files care about, like the frame rate matching. They have an application ecosystem. Um, You know, they're they're improving in that area. And this, this HomePod... Like, best case scenario, it launches, it sounds really good, but it's super limited and not a lot of people buy it. And then over the course of the next year, all they do is make the software better. And, you know, it it's it might take a while. Like, how long did it take, you know, Google Home just, I think, last year or so got the feature where it understands that there are different people talking to it and it can understand who that person is. Uh, hopefully it won't take, take Apple as long as it took Google to do that. But I see... I see potential as long as the hardware is right. But all that said, I'm not running out to buy this hardware. Only Casey is. So, we'll, you know, yeah. a lot of people are just a lot of people are going to wait until they have the complete story and not just buy it based on the promise. Well, as they should. So, I've been thinking about this a little bit uh over the last couple of days since this news is broken and I am not ordering a HomePod immediately. I will probably knowing me order one not too long after immediately because the FOMO will get to me, but I think The thing that appeals to me in principle is that I do trust Apple to make really clever and good choices with regard to audio fidelity. And although I am perfectly happy listening to music or podcasts on speakers that are truly and utterly terrible, that doesn't mean I don't also appreciate some really, really great speakers as well. And what I have in our home theater is not great. It is sufficient. I don't even know what it is. It was like a, a Denon, Denon, whatever it's called, like home theater in a box from probably 10 plus years ago. It is sufficient. But I have no doubt that one or particularly a pair of HomePods would be considerably better sounding. And that would be appealing to me. But knowing that I won't be able to play Spotify easily without airplaying, to Marco's point, uh, knowing I won't be able to say, uh, hey, Dingus, can you play me such and such song by such and such artist without being an Apple Music subscriber, which I'm not like all of these things make it not terribly appealing. And I don't also I don't have anything connected to HomeKit right now. I have uh, several devices that I could connect to HomeKit via $50 bridges, but I have nothing that's natively connecting to HomeKit at the moment. So I have a few. You're missing nothing. Well, OK, fair enough. Um, I, I don't really Sitting here now, and this is when we'll play this back, you know, Marco will do the doodle in like three weeks when I say I just bought one. But sitting here now, <laughs> I don't really see I, I don't really see any 
draw other than just getting a really great set of speakers. And that does that definitely, you know, intrigues me and it's definitely interesting. But I have a I have a sufficient set of speakers that's zero dollars because we bought them 10 years ago. Actually, I think they were a gift. But anyways, they, you know, we already have them. I don't know that one $350 speaker is going to sound better that enough better to justify it than our quote unquote free speakers that we have now. So I'm curious to see what people like real world people say after these are in the wild. But I don't know. I think the reviews would have to be pretty stellar for me to start saying, oh, wow, I really screwed up on this one. As with every other Apple product, I need one. Let me reiterate one last time. Do not connect this to your television. It is an inappropriate application. We are sponsored this week by Betterment. Get up to one year managed free at betterment.com slash ATP. Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor. It's designed to help improve customers' long-term returns and lower your taxes for retirement planning, building wealth, and other financial goals. Betterment takes advanced investment strategies and uses technology to deliver them to more than 300,000 customers. Betterment offers you personalized advice for your financial planning needs. So based on the information that you tell them, they can make tailored recommendations for how much to invest, how much risk to take on in your portfolio, and the type of investment account or accounts you should have. They also have great features like Betterment's socially responsible investing portfolio. This gives you the flexibility to reduce your investment in companies that don't meet certain social, environmental, and governance benchmarks. And they do all of this with very low transparent advisory fees compared to traditional services. For instance, they have only a 0.25% annual fee for their base plan with unlimited messaging access to their team of licensed financial experts. And if you have a more complex situation, Betterment Premium gives you unlimited phone call access to their team of certified financial planners for only 0.4% annually. And Betterment uses tax-saving strategies to help increase your after-tax returns. Everything they do is designed to lower your taxes and increase returns. On average, their tax-coordinated portfolio can increase portfolio value by an estimated 15% over 30 years. Investing involves risk. Listeners can get up to one year managed free. For more information, visit Betterment.com ATP. Once again, that's Betterment.com ATP. Thank you to Betterment for sponsoring our show. We have some news, as I've been alluding to for a while, uh, for iOS 11.3. So in a slightly surprising move, Apple has uh, made a kind of sort of PR site. It's actually just a news article, but it's almost like a mini site uh, about uh, iOS 11.3. So the headline is major updates to AR kit messages and more coming this spring. And they start off by telling us we're getting a lion uh, an emoji. They're getting we're getting a dragon. We're getting a skull. And I thought there was one other. What am I? Forgetting? Is the dragon an emoji? This is my problem of not knowing what the plural of an emoji, including new an emoji. Does that mean more than one? Four new iOS eleven point three includes four new an emoji, giving iOS or excuse me iPhone ten users the ability to express themselves as a lion, bear, dragon, or skull. Oh, I see it later in the later section. The lion is up top. I see. Okay. Indeed. Yeah, that's the most important new feature, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> you know, for most people. I, I know you're probably snarking, and the thing is, I actually really do still like Animoji, but that being said, I haven't sent or received an Animoji in like a month or two. So. Just, like, just li- like knowing that they exist. Yeah, yeah, they're cute. They're cute in their little Animoji drawer. They're waiting for me if I need them. No, I, I, I don't know. I was thinking about it even before this announcement that I really do think it's cute and clever, but... I I don't often find myself in a position that, A, it's not socially awkward to create and send one, 
and B, that I even think to do it in the first place. I really do think it's a good idea. I don't fault them for the idea, and I like that they're adding more Animoji. And in fact, I think I tweeted a while back that it would be cool if they had like seasonal ones, like you could only do Santa when it's Christmas time or something along those lines. But and then it goes back in the Disney Vault. You're a terrible person. Yeah, seriously. No, I'm, I mean I hate the Disney Vault, but it, I do think it would be kind of cool. Um, but anyways, I, I'm not using Animoji in that kind of. It's a little bit sad. Can you show him uh, Declan? Maybe that's a new audience for your analogy. He does get a kick out of them. Actually, just the other day, he asked me. He asked me if I could show him the video of the fox singing, which is, I think, the Bohemian mm-hmm. Rap, Bohemian Rhapsody uh, video that had come out, like one of the first karaoke ones. Um, he really likes watching that, and so uh, he had had me pull that up on YouTube uh, just a day or two ago. But anyway, also new in 11.3, AR kit, which apparently is now understanding what a vertical surface is, which uh, no snark, I I guess is a big deal. I I don't really use AR kit for anything. That's actually like being able to recognize vertical surfaces in in addition to horizontal and having some other improvements in the kind of surfaces they can recognize and how um, it just it broadens the applications of it, basically. Like before, it's like, all right, find find a big flat table (laughs) or the floor or something, and then you can do this cool thing. And now you can do cool things with walls and other like so like it just it broadens the possible applications you can make and it improves existing excuse me applications um, or it gives them the chance to be improved and there's they, they did other improvements to ARKit too but I'm not really qualified to recognize what's good about them but it, it's it's significantly improved but but the main I think the main uh, story around ARKit is that ARKit was their first try at this and it was pretty impressive out of the gate like we all tried it and it worked I think better than most of us had any right to expect especially if you have tried any of the previous sort of academic type things and seen what they can do this was a commercial product that ran on everybody's phones that worked surprisingly well and it hasn't been that long and they've significantly enhanced it so I feel like the ARKit team is doing well their their initial uh, release was good and they're not waiting they're not even waiting to wwc for new features like this because like marcus said i think walls is a significant new feature and there have been like applications unlike perhaps animoji which maybe people get bored by the the applications that you would think you could build with ar kit like a thing to try furniture in your room like ikea has an app like that and guess what it does what they say it does surprisingly well for a thing that just runs on your phone and doesn't require this crazy rig with five cameras slapped together by some phd student so i'm very impressed with ar kit and uh, i'm impressed that they keep getting better all right what else is in this uh messages things messages in icloud is back yeah this is unexpected yeah but the very unexpected but very welcome assuming that it works i haven't actually tried it yet have you guys no uh, is it actually in this beta? Is the the uh, some things aren't in this beta? Is the, uh, the animal? I think not it in this beta? is in the beta. But oh no, it's the battery's of, not in this beta. The yeah, the battery's not in this beta. beta. The the messages in iCloud. I think I, I know it's prompting people to enable it. So I think it is in the beta. But it's like for me personally, I'm not going to have much use for this until it also works with my Mac. You know, right. so like that's that that's the big question mark for me. And and also like if there's any hint that it doesn't quite work it, that it isn't fully baked yet then I might be afraid to turn it on for a little while. But they did take so long to do it that I, I'm, a, I'm confident that they were probably really conservative about this because it's so important to get that right. So it's probably going to work fine. Yeah, but but word of warning to everybody, like when you're running beta software, like this is the reason I have a whole set of other Apple IDs that are not my Apple IDs for when I was doing uh, Mac OS X reviews. When you're running betas, 
and there's some feature that has cloud integration that especially if it wants to like take some existing set of data and like bring <laughs> it to the cloud or yep. convert it from one cloud backend to another they're betas like they're not done they might have bugs but that's your non-beta data right like that's your real <laughs> messages and stuff so if you don't want your non-beta data to, to be potentially hosed and you can't restore that like like if something goes wrong with the phone you can restore the phone back to an old version you can't restore your data in the in iCloud back to an old version yeah especially if it gets scrambled or deleted or hosed in some way so be very careful and like i know you're probably excited like oh i want to try out this new feature or whatever uh but beta is not done um, and yeah, so as I said, whenever I would test beta OSs and do reviews, whole separate world of data, which it was free to completely hose. And sometimes it did. And sometimes I had to wipe all my data and re-enter a bunch of fake data for it or whatever. Um, so beware. But anyway, it looks like that feature is back after basically entirely disappearing from their website. Now it's back. And like Marco, it really doesn't fulfill its promise for me until it has a Mac equivalent, which I'm assuming it will eventually, but I'm I'm glad it's not waiting until iOS 12, put it that way. What is this really, but, but what does it buy me, these messages in the cloud? Because I still sort of get everything coming in kind of obnoxiously. You know what I mean? Like when I start a no, Mac. You're, you're, you're a lucky person. Yeah, I mean, so, so basically what it buys you is it should, in theory, first of all, it should fix a lot of the inconsistencies people see. Like, so it's syncing the messages with iCloud rather than rather than depending on this crazy, like, you know, key generation sharing thing between different computers. And like the way it works security wise is, is really complicated and pretty impressive, but unfortunately creates a lot of uh, bugs in practice that cause people to, to have things like messages appearing on all but one device or messages appearing in different orders on different devices and things like that. Um, this should, if, if done correctly and if done well, this should make your messages the same on all your devices. And it also brings uh, additional um, benefits of things like if you set up a brand new Mac from scratch, for instance, and you log into to iMessage, you don't get all the old messages. Uh, mm-hmm. um, also, if you delete a conversation somewhere, like if you get spam and you delete it in one place, it doesn't get deleted on all the other devices. It, like you have to delete, you have to delete conversations in every place separately. So like there's there's a lot of big and small benefits to this if it works correctly and, and completely. That is a big if, but if they can pull it off, the benefits are pretty big. Yeah, and like I, what I think of this is aligning messages with the mental model I've always had in my head about messages, that there is one conversation that I participate in from different devices, but it's always one conversation, right? In the same way that our show notes document, it's one show notes document, I can edit it on my phone, I can edit it on my iPad, I can edit it on my Mac at work, I can edit it on my Mac at home, and you guys can all do the same from whatever devices you have, but wherever I go, the document looks like a document. That's how I my mental model of iMessage conversations. I'm conversing with the person, and no matter where I converse with them, the conversation is the conversation. So it's jarring to me, like it would be jarring to me, like the new Mac setup, to set up a new Mac and not see that conversation at all. Or to go to my Mac at work and not see a bunch of messages that I had sent previously on my phone because my Mac was asleep during that time and they didn't propagate or whatever. Now, people who don't have these problems and everything's in sync, if you limit the number of places you converse uh, and uh, and or if your mess- if your devices are always online at the same time to accept the propagations and all the propagations work, then maybe you won't notice that. Um, but 
I, I think that's the mental model most people have that it is that it is a conversation <laughs> and it's the same conversation everywhere so that's the promise of this one one more feature by the way that apple touts is actually the first bullet point on their little screen is free up space on your iphone by keeping photos and other attachments in icloud which right now like you'd be surprised at how much space your messages thing takes up if you go to this you know because people send you videos and they send you photos and you don't want to delete things because they're cute and maybe some, sometimes you save them to your photo library or whatever and one of the prompts for the the ios storage screen of like hey if you want to save up some space you can delete some old messages be like oh i don't want to delete all that stuff well now apparently it will take the big attachments and put them in icloud and i guess only when you scroll back to them will it download them on demand or something so anything that frees up space on our phone by using cloud storage that we're already paying for is good so that's another potential advantage that doesn't speak to the the mental model but it's good that's a huge advantage in practice lots of people have like massive you know multi-gig message yeah well, multi-gig uh, messages that are just sitting there taking up space in their phone that they don't want to delete um the the upside of this is great you'll have this option icloud to store these things in to free up space in your phone so you won't be always running out of space the downside is Apple's still pretty stingy with iCloud storage, so yep. you're gonna you're gonna need one of the paid plans and and possibly even one of the larger plans. Um, so that that is going to make this hurt for a lot of people. Um, but I I think at this point, um, if you want a good experience using Apple devices, you're gonna have to just factor in the price of a, of a you know small to mid sized iCloud storage plan at least. Like it's, as when you're deciding whether to whether to have an iPhone. You just plan for this because in reality you're going to need something beyond the free you know five megabytes of space they give you and i i'm not i'm that was a joke not a misremembering the unit it feels like five megabytes it, right it does right like it, it, might, as, it, it might as well be it might as well be five kilobytes like that like in in this day and age with the amount of stuff that's stored in iCloud that's that is kind of insulting um but it's at this point i'm also I've given up on like trying to like wish and hope that Apple's going to raise the free limit on iCloud and make the plans all bigger and super price competitive. Like, no, they're not going to. They they're making a ton of money the way it is now. They're not going to change that. So, oh well, factor it in as the cost of having these devices. That if you're going to have this and you want the full experience of having the luxury of iCloud doing all these things for you and doing backups and everything else, you're going to have to pay for an iCloud plan, and that's just part of and, it. And, and by the way, one of my tips for general happiness of using iOS things is like, and this is a problem a lot of people have. Like, I'm not paying for iCloud storage, which I understand it's expensive. As Marco said, it's not as competitive as it should be, and they should give you more, and it should be cheaper, but. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't cost that much money to get more storage, and it will like the the amount of the amount of improvement to your computing life that you will get for ten dollars a month of actually just paying for iCloud storage. It's well worth the ten dollars a month, right? Well, as far as I'm concerned, well worth it because I hate having to deal with storage problems and running out of room and trying to manage things and like. You know, especially for things like photos, if you use the photos in the cloud feature, you're not going to delete your photos. What are you going to do when you run out of storage? You're just going to, you know, complain and grind your teeth. It's like, just just pay for the storage. I know it's bad. And with the family plan, by the way, with, now that you can pay for storage for your whole family, if you have a family and they all have uh, devices, the family plan is another good way to not have to have stupid individual bills for like your kid's iCloud backup and your other kid's iCloud backup and your spouse's iCloud backup. And your iCloud. <laughs> now you can do one bill and that will further encourage you to get the big plan for the whole family uh, and yes it costs money but ten dollars a month for someone who can afford apple devices is not that much it will really improve your life and it's i think it's just mostly a mental barrier like you know people just don't want to pay for it in the same way they don't want to pay for applications but 
overcome that hurdle uh, here i would put it this way you know for, for like people who do tech support for their families just just buy your parents like don't tell them you're doing it but just buy them P- pay them the ten dollars a month secretly pay for their storage <laughs> plan like that is another great investment of your money the amount of, of aggravation you have doing tech support in your parents if you just secretly pay for the one terabyte storage plan and put and put them in a family with together and pay for their storage plan enable iCloud backup on all their devices just don't even tell them just pay for it all just do it yourself you will improve everybody's life oh yeah yeah like like because we, we always advise people doing that on their parents computers to install like backblaze or your cloud backup of choice uh, and uh, then just pay for and it just for yeah just pay just do it for them pay for it because you know you as like the the young adult probably don't care the old people won't pay for it and yeah and so it's like they need this you know that they don't so you just pay for it so on computers that's backblaze on their phones and ipads it's icloud storage yeah, your, your your parents who have retired on their astronomical pensions that no longer exist for any generation <laughs> after them, who are taking vacations to Hawaii and living in luxury and buying fancy cars, will never pay $10 a month? What am I getting for that money? I have to pay for storage? No thanks. I don't need backups. It doesn't make sense, but that's that's the mindset. So, you know, since you're the one doing tech support, just, just pay for their pay for that $10 a month. They carried you for nine months in their body, right? So it's the least you can do. We are sponsored this week by Casper. You can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash ATP and using code ATP at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. Casper mattresses and other products are designed by humans for humans. These are cleverly designed to mimic human curves and support our comfort for all kinds of bodies. Casper's experts work tirelessly to make quality sleep surfaces that cradle your natural geometry in all the right places. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amounts of sink and bounce. The breathable design helps you sleep cool, and with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. And now they offer two other mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body, and the Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. Casper also offers a wide array of other products like pillows and sheets to ensure an overall better sleep experience, and all of these wonderful products are designed, developed, and assembled in the U.S., Casper gives you all this at affordable prices because they cut out the middlemen and sell directly to you. If you aren't completely satisfied, you can return it with no hassle with a 100-night risk-free home sleep-on-it trial. 100 nights, sleep on it. If you don't like it, you can return it, no questions asked, hassle-free. It gets delivered right to your door in a remarkably small box, and there's free shipping and returns within the U.S. and Canada. I have a Casper mattress, and... I got to say, the hype is real. It's great. I love it. I, and I, don't, I won't go back. So uh, check it out today at casper.com slash ATP. You can get $50 towards select mattresses with that code ATP there at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. Once again, casper.com slash ATP and code ATP at checkout to get $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for sponsoring our show. All right. What else in 11.3? Uh, iBooks is no more. It's just plain books. It's not no more. Yeah, they just renamed it. I mean, this is the most substantial iBooks update in years. <sighs> I think they did something Ouch. recently. Oh, no, they updated iBooks author, I think, recently. But uh, yeah, iBooks uh, it was the second thing to get the iBook uh, name. 
after the old computer. And now it's got its eyes stripped away, joining, what is it joining? Uh, music? What are the other generic ones? Well, numbers, I guess, maybe. Pages. <laughs> the, the generically named applications. Uh, now it's just called books. Uh, and as Jason Snell said on Twitter, I wonder if there's some other hardware product Apple could use the iBook name for. What he's referring to, of course, is iOS laptops, which we talked about last show. And yeah, that would be a good use. And it would be like the iBook name coming back home to a laptop form factor, but not a Mac. So we'll see. I think that would be cool. That, that I don't I don't know how likely that is, but that that would be a really cool, fun reason for this. I think it might be confusing because it seems like iBook is still kind of in living memory, so to speak, of the potential consumers. And like to have someone who previously owned an iBook buy a new iBook and have it not be a Mac might be strange. But anyway, it's, it, this this change is completely explicable by Apple's drive to name all of its products like Marco's products, like the magazine. You know, one product I named that way. One. I know. You're right. It is only one, but it looms larger, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like it seems it seems so significant? What are the other, what are the other Apple ones? I can't think of. We got you got uh you got numbers, pages, uh, music, books, movie, tunes. Yeah, oh, that hasn't happened yet. iMovie is an interesting one because you can't just rip off the i because then it's just called movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> All right, so what's going on in macOS 10.13.4? Probably a bunch of stuff, but the only thing that poked out at me is the the uh, the long uh, foreshadowed uh, end of 32-bit, which is not happening in 10.13.4, but the foreshadowing continues. Preparing for the end of 32-bit, as, as Apple says. I think this is in the release notes. To prepare for a future release of macOS in which 32-bit software will no longer run without compromise. Will no <laughs> longer run without com- what does what that, does that mean? mean? It doesn't <laughs> say will no longer run. Will no, not will no longer run without compromises. Will no longer run without compromise. Starting in macOS High Sierra 10.13.4, <laughs> a user is notified at the launch of an app that depends on 32-bit software. The alert appears only once per app. So this is kind of like on... I think it does on iOS too. Like for a while... 32-bit applications would pop up a dialogue that says this may slow down your phone or is not optimized or had some message like that yeah, that, would, yeah. that would translate to if you knew what it was talking about that it's a 32-bit app and then eventually on ios it's like yeah no those aren't going to launch anymore this this application needs to be updated for blah 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 right um so the fun thing about 10.13.4 is that if you're a developer you can reboot your mac with the boot arg minus no 32 exec and it will stop all 32-bit processes from launching Right, so then you can try to use your app. Like you think your app is is clean and it's sixty four bit clean. It doesn't require any thirty two bit frameworks. Doesn't invoke any thirty two bit commands. Doesn't do anything thirty two bit. Fine, reboot your Mac in this developer mode that will forbid any thirty two bit stuff from running, and uh, you'll see if it's broken. Of course, this is a developer mode for people who are developing applications. Users should not do this because half the stuff that you use from day to day will probably be broken, including including parts of the OS or other things that you know. Our command line programs that have 32-bit parts or you know lots this, put it this way i bet there is a surprising amount of 32-bit software lurking in everybody's mac at this point but this is the only way you get to a 64-bit clean world uh apple doesn't say what future version of mac os that where 32-bit software would no longer run and it also doesn't explain what compromise they're talking about because if they had just said will no longer run i'd be like oh that's just what happened in ios 32-bit stuff no longer runs Fair enough, right? But compromise makes me think there's going to be some kind of way to still run 32-bit stuff just because 
seems like Apple doesn't have as much faith in the Apple developer or the, the Mac developer community to bring everything to 64-bit. Like there's just not enough of them and they're just not motivated enough to bring everything. So there will always be this really long tail of stragglers where in iOS they're like, look, we're going 64-bit. If you don't care enough about your app to port it, fine. There's a thousand other apps that'll take your place. We don't care. But on the Mac, I don't know if that's the case. So I'm very interested to see what the compromise is and how they manage to run 32-bit stuff in an OS that more or less doesn't support it. They could use some kind of VM thing, some kind of weird hypervisor thing. Who knows? Um, but, you know, uh, my guess is it's the it's 1014. We'll find out the answer to that question. To go back a step, I forgot to mention that uh, Health Records is also new in 11.3. I think that completely slipped my mind. And yeah, I, it's not clear how that works. Like, I see the screen, yeah. and it seems cool, but how does it work? Yeah, that's what I was curious about, too, and I didn't know if I just hadn't read the right documentation yet or something. But the thought of having all of my health records from all of my different health professionals all in one spot, all for me to be able to see, that genuinely sounds really awesome. But color me a little skeptical that that'll actually be what ends up happening. Because, I mean, look at Apple Pay, which is a seemingly odd analogy to use. But, like, I feel like in America, it's, it's pulling teeth to get, an, to get a retailer to use Apple Pay. And that's to give them money. And here, it's like, what, what is going to encourage anyone, insurance companies or doctors or whomever, to share medical records? I mean, yeah, there are records in theory, since it's our bodies, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. I don't see any real incentive to get health providers or insurance companies or whatever to provide this information to us. Well, there have been government incentives to make them adopt some of the things that would make them uh, potentially closer to supporting uh, this type of feature, but... Not anytime soon, there won't be. If there's one thing that's true in the... No, there has been in the past. Like, the whole meaningful use thing in, in past years was to try to get, uh, you know, medical uh, businesses in the U.S. to adopt uh, electronic health record stuff. Like, who knows how effective it was. But anyway, um, there's one thing that's true about healthcare in the U.S., is that getting all of your medical anything anywhere is basically impossible. So if it was like, I would love to have all of my medical stop, stop right there. <laughs> Whatever the rest of that sentence is, unless you are very, very lucky, it's not going to happen. It's hard enough to get any of your medical. <laughs> right, right. All. But like, so if you are astronomically lucky and all of your health records happen to be at the tiny subset of medical institutions and providers that are participating in this program. Yes, you could have all of your medical records in this thing, but chances are very, very good that some of your medical records will not be participating in this. And so it's just, it's just an adoption problem. So I, I like to see Apple tackling this and they're trying to do it in a sort of, you know, agnostic way using standard protocols for interchange. So it's not like some Apple proprietary thing where, Apple has to convince everybody to adopt some standard. It's just that getting all of any of uh, uh, medical things in the U.S. to do anything is very difficult because it's a very diverse, shall we say, environment um, of providers and technology expertise and motivation and financial incentive to support something like this. All right, then, John, in the gifts just keep coming for you. You have El Capitan fixes that you're choosing not to install, and tvOS 11.3 has a new gift for you, does it not? not really a gift for me because even though i have an older apple tv it's not hooked up to a television set that i think can even do 24 frames per second like it's hooked up to a crappy tv like a bedroom tv right so anyway 
Uh, the one change that is most interesting to me in tvOS 11.3, which is currently in beta, is frame rate matching, which was previously only supported on the Apple TV 4K, is now supported on the one that looks exactly like the Apple TV 4K, but isn't, because it doesn't have slots in the bottom. Hey, that's mine. Yeah. So now you get that feature, too. Uh, I don't. I also don't know if you have a television that can do 24 no, frames per second. I'm Probably not. almost sure I do not. Yeah, but that was the question before. Is like, why isn't this supported? Is it some kind of hardware limitation? No, they just didn't get around to it with software, and now they're getting around to it. So thumbs up for that. All right, let's do some Ask ATP. Uh, some guy I've never heard of, uh, Todd Vaziri, writes, With your iPhone ten experience, uh, are there any signs that Apple intends to unify 3D touch and a long press to give the same result? Or do you feel that they have every intention of keeping these two gestures separate and distinctive? I haven't looked at gesture recognizers in a while, and nor have I really fiddled with 3D touch APIs. But as far as I can tell, and just as a user, it seems to me that it's pretty clearly going to be kept separate but i don't know marco have you been looking through these apis more recently do you have any thoughts on this i i don't have any thoughts i don't think it's going to be touched in any meaningful way i think it's going to stay the way it is now which is basically like you know most things are 3d touch or nothing and occasionally one of the app developers either apple or third party will have some good idea oh you know we should make this available with long press eventually and then eventually somebody does it but you know it's probably going to always be you know 3d touch first kind of like how the uh the clear all notifications thing remember wasn't that 3d touch first mm-hmm. and then eventually they added long press it's probably going to be like that that kind of pattern i'm just like 3d touches first long press if somebody gets to it but do you think like i think part of this question is like are the do the apis make it look like there will ever be a way to like you know coalesce them in terms you'd write an application to handle one kind of event and both of those things that happen on the screen could funnel into one kind of event or do you think it will like no. the apis still reflect the fact that they are entirely separate entirely separate i mean you could write something like in your app that would you know respond to either one uh, right, and right. you could you could write some kind of reusable component to make that easier to do but as far as i could tell apple has not moved in that direction at all i could be wrong i could i could have missed something but i, I don't think so yeah I, I don't think so either i just like my my impression from the outside not looking at the APIs, but just looking at how, how they're used, is that uh, I would go so far as to say that Apple thinks there actually is an important distinction between 3D Touch and Long Press that should be meaningful in the UI. And cases where they merely say Long Press is just an affordance for people who have devices without 3D Touch are kind of in the minority. Like It seems like, especially as 3D Touch spreads to more and more devices, or at least phones, anyway, because they don't have it on iPads, um, that 3D Touch is a different thing than Long Press. Um, and it may still be an optional thing, like oh, if you happen to have a device that can afford it, you can get this feature. But that is not, it's not the same thing as long press, it, it, despite the fact that a lot of people like wish it was that it was just a more convenient long rest. And and using a phone, from my perspective, it feels different to me. I wouldn't want it to be just an alternate way to do long press because it just it just feels so very different. So I I think I'm mostly on the same page with Apple here, despite the fact that it is somewhat confusing to have to explain to people. I I don't think they're interchangeable. They don't feel interchangeable to me. I tend to agree. Alex writes, what is AirPlay 2 and why is it so hard for both developers and Apple to implement it? So I I guess, Marco, jump in whenever you're ready, but AirPlay 2, is it supposed to be, other than multi-room stuff, which you can't really do with AirPlay 1 unless you're using iTunes on a Mac, is it supposed to be kind of uh, self-sufficient where it's more like a Google Chromecast sort of scenario where you just tell it, hey, go play this thing over there and it does it all by itself? Or is that completely wrong? That's about halfway wrong. It's so so basically, the way AirPlay One worked was kind of like it's it's not that different from like how Bluetooth audio works, just done over Wi-Fi. 
it is you know what they call basically a real-time protocol it's just a stream they you stream audio to the airplay one device there is a fixed latency that all airplay one devices have of two seconds um and everything goes over that same stream at that same latency audio gets streamed at that rate uh, commands like play pause or seek get streamed at that rate that's why with an airplay speaker if you hit pause in your phone it takes two seconds before it actually pauses um and so it was a simpler protocol it was launched forever ago um and you know back then things had to be simpler for just technical practicality reasons um so airplay one very simple protocol what you're alluding to casey how how sonos and the google cast protocols usually work um is basically like the speaker in those cases or like the the casted to device is controlling and and playing the whatever the media is itself it isn't having a device send it a stream of media in most cases the the sonos speaker or or google chromecast or whatever is given like a url and say play play the file here and the client applications are basically giving it commands whenever they feel like it of okay pause it now play this thing instead or whatever else Um, but the advantage of a system like that is your phone or whatever is streaming the audio from or causing the audio to be streamed is not actually really involved in the real-time playback so like the example that 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 is often given is like if you go out and take out the trash during a party and your phone is is what's telling sonos to play this playlist when you leave your house's wi-fi for 30 seconds the music isn't going to stop it's going to keep playing because your phone is simply giving it commands sometimes when you tell it to it isn't streaming the audio itself the you know the, the device for sonos and google cast or whatever is is getting the audio itself over the network and only just doing what your phone tells it to when it's time to make changes um airplay never worked that way airplay was always being real-time streamed from the source device to the speaker um, uh, question yeah. the home pod te- uh literature or whatever pr literature makes that claim about it that uh that it you that it's just pulling the music from Apple Music, not pulling it from your phone. But it doesn't currently support AirPlay too. Yes. So there's there's a few different things here. So that what the HomePod is doing with Apple Music. First of all, I believe that applies only to Apple Music, and that is because the HomePod does appear from what they're saying to be a native Apple Music client in the sense that you can ask it to play something from Apple Music. I don't know if your phone is involved in the Siri request itself. But once it is playing, it does sound like I can just keep playing without your phone's presence. So that is a separate thing. That's not involving AirPlay 2, though. So what AirPlay 2 does is kind of just a, a halfway point between these, or kind of like a, a better AirPlay 1. So what it lets you do is buffer for much larger chunks of data. And what Apple said in the oh. WWDC session about it, um, they said basically think minutes instead of seconds. Um, and it lets you buffer faster than real time so you know airplay one was a fixed two second latency everywhere the streaming device supplied the audio in real time the playing device played it in real time and there's a two second buffer on the playing device airplay two the streaming device is asked to supply the audio as fast as it can faster than real time until the buffer fills up and so your airplay two client program that's playing media has to be able to feed the buffer a lot, like, you know, five minutes or ten minutes or whatever it is, of future audio. And then the playing device maintains that buffer and plays it in real time and notifies you um, of, you know, what point it has reached in playback. Um, So this changes a bunch of things. This is a really big foundational change to how this works. 
there are a number of big advantages. So number one is that scenario of taking out the garbage during a party. As long as you're not taking like 20 minutes outside to take the garbage out, in which case I would say you have to think about your home layout. Um, that's, <laughs> that's too much of a trip. Um, you know, it should be fine. You should get back inside in time for that, you know, minutes long buffer the, um, to, to not have to underrun itself. Um, also, you know, in, in, as we talk about during Eero ads, like a lot of times, like places in your house are kind of Wi-Fi dead zones. And so same problem with those. Like there's lots of like common scenarios where like if you're airplane, anybody who's ever done airplay has, you know, you know this because this has probably happened to you at some point where like, you know, the person with the phone is walking around somewhere and drops out of range for a second and the music stops or skips or whatever. Um, also, another big advantage of this, of breaking it out of that like fixed latency model is that commands to change. So play, pause, seek commands. Those can happen faster than that two second buffer. Those can happen basically as quickly as the as the device receives and processes them. So, like any other Wi-Fi command in your house, so it, it can be really fast. So, way faster, way more responsive playout controls, uh, as well as that long, super long buffer. Um, this also, uh, AirPlay One did support multi-room audio in some way. I'm not familiar with the details of how it coordinated it, but I think only iTunes on the Mac could ever right. really officially be the source for that. There was never a way for it to have an iOS device as the source of multi-room audio with AirPlay 1. AirPlay 2, that is now possible. You can now do multi-room audio with the iOS device as the source of that. So that's another big change. I don't really know what has changed about the protocol to allow that, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure there's a good reason. Also, because the playback buffering and the media supply has been separated from the command interface of like play pause you can now have multiple devices in your house being able to control the play pause type controls of a stream that's playing from not them so like you and your spouse can both have play pause control over the music playing from only one of your phones to the airplay 2 speaker so also you know fun stuff there's also um separation now of uh phone call status from airplay so you can, for instance, take a phone call on your phone that is air playing music to a speaker, and the music continues to play back on that speaker while you're on the phone call. That didn't happen before. Um, so this and so this is all a lot of major changes, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why this is taking so long to, and, and why AirPlay Two seems to be the big delay for the HomePod. Um, this is tons of new iOS APIs, tons of new background processes, and changes to fundamental things in iOS to make all this happen um also on the device side on the speaker side you now have this you know long buffering mechanism and that's much more complex than before you know i'm sure apple has some kind of component or library or or something that they will sell manufacturers uh to make this easier on them to you know to kind of automate this for them or be like a drop-in component or something um but it's more complex than AirPlay 1 was by a lot. And even AirPlay 1, the client implementations tended to suck that weren't Apple's. Like, there, there was, like, one AirPlay chip that every AirPlay speaker used, and it sucked. It was unreliable, and it, it was terrible. So I'm guessing the delay in the speaker availability is because this is more complex, and, you know, maybe maybe the industry was caught off guard a little bit. Who knows? Um, maybe, maybe Apple hasn't actually really finished it yet, and they're just not saying that. Um, but e- either way, it's a complex protocol. And then on the software side, on the iOS side, um, and probably the HomePod side, um, 
this is complex. I, I, I ran into some of this complexity when I started looking at these APIs for Overcast. Um, and the main complexity here is the, the streaming the music to the buffer is now disconnected from what timestamp or even like what track is actually playing at that moment because you can read ahead by so far. Like before, with the old AirPlay 1 model, whatever function in your app supplied the audio to the output stream could notify the app as that happened, you're now at timestamp 1, you're now at timestamp 2. And as soon as it played through a track, it can say, this track has finished playing, you're now playing this next track. Now, it can buffer so far ahead of real time that the production of the audio in your app, the thing that is supplying the audio, has to be a separate thing entirely from what parts of your app manage what timestamp it's playing at and what track is currently playing. And they've, they've moved all that out now to this new, like, synchronizer object that you need. So, like, none of this is, like, difficult to, to deal with, but it's different. It's a, it's a major change from the way it used to work. And there's also there's other things like, like for instance, if you if your app has like a concept of like a playlist and an item that is coming up is changed, say the user deletes an entry in a playlist or reorders a playlist, and that part has already been buffered, you now have to tell the buffer thing, oh, and everything after this timestamp is now different. Reload it. So there's there's all sorts of big and small changes like that needed to adopt this kind of model. And none of them are difficult or impossible. It's just a lot of things to deal with. It's a lot of change, a lot of potential for new bugs or not realizing that old bugs were really bugs. And so it's like even doing it for Overcast is a, is a, is a pretty major undertaking that I'm nowhere near done with. I, I've only done like the early stages of it and now I kind of put it on the back burner because now I know that it's not going to be imminent um, and I, ha- I have more pressing things I want to do. But it's a big change to audio applications and to the systems in iOS that manage them. So I think there's very, very good justification for AirPlay 2 to be late and for Apple to be running behind. I think they should have probably anticipated it better and planned for it better, but oh well. (laughs) All this is just to say that technically speaking, this is a nice improvement. It is also a really big job. So it's totally reasonable for it to be like you know, harder than they might have predicted or taking longer than they predicted. You can have a fun class of bugs. Like you could have a bug based on what you described where the speaker is playing a song, but but your your player application on your phone indicates that it's playing a different song. So like, you yep. know, it goes to the next track. Uh, and like if you didn't do that synchronization thing that you said, oh, by the way, they've deleted something. The, it, your phone will say, I'm happily playing song A, and you'll be hearing a totally different song come through the speaker. You'll be like, this thing is totally broken. How does that even happen? Well, now we know how it happens. Yeah, or like as it starts buffering, if you didn't do the timestamp, you know, change of how it reports what time you're playing until, then like you can have it if you watch your time thing in, in the app, you start airplane to a speaker and your time starts racing ahead by like ten minutes all of a sudden, but you're you're not hearing it that fast. Like there's there's so many or like it races to the end and deletes the file. Because <laughs> it's how oh, it's played already, gone. <laughs> like there there's there's a lot of potential for big and small <laughs> it, bugs here in your application if they change the playback speed midstream you have to invalidate everything that you've previously uploaded at the other speed oh that's interesting <laughs> yep yep or if they toggle off smart speed yep uh, any, anything or if, if, if you just seek i think if you I, I don't think it actually does in the current protocol I don't, i'm not sure it actually does seeking anyway and you know one concern i have too is like this stuff is all so early and so complex and such a big undertaking 
I'm not sure I want to devote a whole bunch of time to changing my entire audio engine to support this before I know that the API is solid. And given that Apple is delaying their own AirPlay 2 stuff, and I'm kind of worried that maybe the API is not done yet or not baked yet. Um, so in, it, it, this is another reason why I'm, I've kind of paused my work on this for now. Yeah, it could end up like crashing your application in scenarios where the person's not even using AirPlay 2 just because of how you had to rejigger the internals, which is not a great thing to happen. All right, what are, what are we in the middle of? We're in the middle of Ask ATP, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, Andrew Lynn, Lim Penning writes, could John please detail his method for reading extremely long soft cover books without ruining the spine? Where the hell did this even come from? What did, <laughs> when did you talk some, about this? Some other podcast that I'm on that Andrew apparently listens to, I discussed this. I think you, know, you, you two should know about it too in the long history of weird things that I have. Anyway, I, I, when I was younger, I had a lot of books like paper books before i got on the ebook bandwagon and i had a lot of paperback books when i was younger um and some of them are really thick because i'm a big stephen king fan and his books are long and eventually i got into books as a thing that you can buy like as a sort of you know a physical object in addition to the words that they contain in fact i'm still like that i, I read ebooks mostly but i still like physical books often i will buy a physical book but still read the ebook um anyway I got a lot of soft covers and I like them. I got a lot of series. They had cool spines. I'd put them up on my shelf, you know, arrange them. They look nice. Pretty soon after getting my first collection of paperbacks, I decided I didn't like how the books looked when the spines were broken. If you open a paperback really wide, the nice printed spine on it will get a big white, you know, crease or crack on it. And if you read the book, eventually you have cracks going up and down the whole spine. Anyone who has had a big, thick paperback book knows about this. So I didn't like that. So eventually I decided I'm going to read all my softcover books, no matter how thick they are, without breaking the spine. And that's what this question is about. How do you do that? Unfortunately for Andrew, the answer is exactly how you would think you'd do that. You don't open the book really wide. Uh, you uh, support the spine with your fingers behind it, and you open it a crack. And you'd be like, how are you going to read an entire literally 800-page book peeking into this tiny crevice to read the text out of the, you know, <laughs> like, oh my word, it, you know, there is no secret. The secret, you know, like the technique is put your fingers on the back of the spine so you can feel what's happening at the back of that spine and open it as wide as you can before it creases and just be really, really careful. And I don't think that's a particularly fun way to read. I think people should buy ebooks because they're way better than paper books, but paper books are beautiful. So you should still buy them and collect them and display them. So how do you use an iPhone without scratching it? Well, you keep it in a small felt pouch, and you take it in and out of that pouch every single time you use it, and you never actually touch yeah. it. Well done, sir. Not every single time. Only when you're out of the house. Only when you're out of the house. In oh the house, gosh. it is not in the pouch, ever. <laughs> well, well yeah. Done, what, what could possibly be, uh, be more convenient than that? The pouch is awesome. I like, here's the thing about the pouch. Like, I, originally, I originally started doing it for the reason you, you noted, for like scratchability, but I have come to appreciate the fingerprint. Like, I don't, I don't ever have to clean off my phone screen, which is apparently things that a lot of people have to do, or their phone screens look disgusting, because every time it goes in and out of my pouch, it gets cleaned. Of course. And, it, and when it stays in there and it rubs around, like it's a microfiber thing, it is always cleaning my phone screen. It's nice. So a year of using my jet black iPhone 7, and you know how much it ever mattered how scratched it was? Not at all. You know how much I ever noticed? Zero. That's the back. I'm talking I'm talking about the front. Actually, you I know have what? I a case on it, so I don't care about the back. I actually do have uh, a small problem with the iPhone 10. I'm getting scratches on my screen. Really? On the front? The front? Yeah. Why? From what? 
I don't know. Like they're they're not like deep scratches, but you know, when when the light hits a certain angle, you can see them. And I, I think I, I think I heard from a few other people that they were having a similar issue. Like I've never had iPhone screen scratches that were noticeable. I'm getting scratches on my iPhone 10 like already. So I don't know. I don't know what's up. Mm. Are they like micro, like very micro scratches? Like maybe they're just scratches in the the, the sort of the oleophobic whatever coating and not like actually in the glass. Maybe. I mean, again, like they they don't look deep. Like you can't see them at all angles. If, if you turn the screen off, they're pretty they're pretty noticeable. Mm. That's interesting. Anyway, I don't have any online pouch. <laughs> pouch is not the answer, John. It's an answer. It may not be the answer, but it is, it is an it is, answer. It is an answer. I will concede it is an answer. And the back of my jet black iPhone 7, I'm sure, is pristine underneath my leather case. Good for it. I'm sure that's that's going to really be it's going to really matter a long term. Yeah, I've, I've already decided that I'm not speaking of keeping phones pristine. I'm not going to give my my uh, any of my kids this iPhone 7. Like I, I handed down my iPhone six and, you know, God knows what my son is doing to it. But the seven, I'm like, no, no, we'll buy you like an iPhone SE used or something. But we're not you're not getting my seven. I spent all this time <laughs> keeping it pristine. Like uh, this course. is this the iPhone, my iPhone seven, I think, is in the category of like my SE 30 and my 2008 Mac Pro. I really like this phone. I mean, granted, I've only had two iPhones, but this is by far my favorite. Um, and like there's nothing about it that is bad even the lack of the headphone port like i've you know i I think the iphone 7 is great and i'm now appreciating it as my last like pre-iphone 10 notch era of apple phone you know yeah it honestly like you know as as we talked about it in in our uh, iphone 7 exit interview segment i like looking back on it like i don't want to go back to it because i like the 10 too much but that really was a great phone like they really it was it was a great phone yeah, and and the eight's great too, and everything, but you know, overshadowed by the ten. So they're like, and I didn't get the eight, right? So I've got the seven, and this is my phone that like hit the sweet spot of like the culmination of a long evolution of a particular phone factor before Apple took a hard left turn into iPhone ten land. Also, like the eight doesn't have the jet black finish, and that to me was a critical part of why the seven was so awesome because it so dramatically yeah. improved and changed the feel of the phone. Like it really, like it gave that awesome caseless grip that I miss. I you know the the iPhone ten is better than like the previous aluminum ones uh but it's still not as good as the iphone 7 in, in grip uh, but i like the rest of it so i'm keeping it i guess even though my screen is scratched <laughs> anyway thanks to our sponsors this week casper betterment and src and we will talk to you next week now the show is over they didn't even mean to begin because it was accidental. accidental oh it was accidental, accidental. john didn't do any research marco and casey wouldn't let him because it was accidental. accidental oh it was accidental. accidental and you can find the show notes at atp.fm and if you're into twitter you can follow them at c-a-s-e-y-l ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental. I do this every year. I guess this is my my lose weight kind of uh, New Year's resolution, even though it's not a resolution. It's just something I, I remind myself of every year. And every year, 
you know, January comes around. And I remind myself, you know what? You should really be less negative, Casey, on on the internet and stop complaining and moaning about things, which I don't think I do overwhelmingly, but I do probably more than I should. And then something like this happens. I see a news report saying BMW is going to charge $80 a year for a subscription to CarPlay. $80 for a subscription to CarPlay. That involves no like cloud services or anything like that of any sort. It's just $80 for them to not cut you off for the thing in your car. Yeah. What? 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 Huh? Why? There's a number of angles to this. So, like, a a few people asked when this first came out, like, well, do we know, like, is Apple charging them yearly? And we don't have a firm answer on that. Apparently, somebody heard from some car maker that Apple does not charge fees for CarPlay, and there certainly is not an annual fee. Apple did say so, according to Gruber. This is what he said on his website. Gruber says, I've now received the following clarification from Apple. There is no fee for OEMs for either MFI or CarPlay integration. There never has been, and and there never will. To my knowledge, there are no plans to this change. There is no royalty costs or ongoing costs. The only cost to automakers are those necessary to create the hardware. This includes an authentication chip. All right, that's good. Okay, so anyway, so that rules that out. But anyway, um, this, so this does solve a problem. I don't think it solves it in the right way, but there there is a problem that BMWs, as you know, Casey, from having bought them, uh, especially having bought them used, certain options like this, they're options at, uh, you know, at purchase when the car is new, and you can't add them later. CarPlay... There's not much reason, like, it's like a $300 option normally before this thing. Um, there's not a lot of reason that they had to charge $300 extra. They're just doing it because they can. Because cars like this, you know, luxury cars especially, they charge money for every little thing. Anything. If you want, like, they, they've offered for years now, they've offered, like, wireless phone charging, where they just put basically a Qi charger in the armrest, and they charge you, like, $700 or some obscene thing for that. Like... That's just the game here. When you're buying a high-end car like this, many of the brands will nickel and dime you to death uh, over stuff that does not cost them that much to add, but they have a captive audience. You know, it's just like buying a beer at a baseball stadium. It's a captive audience. You're already spending a lot of money. They know that they can get more out of people if they do this. So, you know, that I, I don't really fault them for charging separately for this. I think it's a crappy luxury experience that not every BMW has CarPlay. Like, a lot of other manufacturers, all of their cars now have CarPlay, or all of certain model lines have it. Uh, BMW's not doing that. That creates a problem if you're looking for a used one, and this is a fairly minor feature distinction. So if you're looking at used BMWs, or if you have acquired a used BMW, it might be difficult to find one that has CarPlay. Or you might not know until you actually go visit one at a dealer whether the one you're looking at has CarPlay or not. There is a problem that they are now solving that now you can add CarPlay. (laughs) So I think you can actually, like if a car was sold without it and you go buy it used and you want it, I think you can add it by starting to pay this fee. That's not a great solution to that problem. There are way better solutions. Like, honestly, you know, a decent, a well-spec BMW costs like over 40 grand most of the time. You can throw in CarPlay at no additional charge. Like, this this is the kind of thing like, you know, the brakes aren't optional. You know, the like the like the <laughs> air conditioning now comes standard. Like, you know, I, I think CarPlay is, is really very quickly becoming one of those features where like 
people just expect that. Like it, it's weird if you don't have it uh, on a nice car these days. So they should really include it on all the cars and not charge you this dumb fee. One of the analogies I heard was like in uh, in cheap to mid price hotels, the Wi Fi is free, but in fancy hotels, they charge you for it. That is Wait, definitely yep. not true. <laughs> they charge you I've, for it I, at every hotel. <laughs> no, like I, I, that's I've heard that saying before, and I have experienced some of that. Where the main places I've seen free Wi-Fi are not in the fanciest hotels, but kind of in the mid-tier ones. But once you get fancy, they're like, "Well, you're already paying so much for the room anyway. <laughs> we'll just add this charge on for the Wi-Fi." Yeah. Well, and also, like you know, see also iCloud storage plans, like what we talked about earlier. There's this is a captive audience, right? Like iCloud storage sells not because it's a great deal, but because you kind of want it. It makes the experience way better. And what else are you going to do? Like, this is all system integration stuff. And it's like, if you want this experience in the native first party way that works with everything, you're probably going to have to pay whatever they, they want for it. The CarPlay on BMW is the same thing. Like, you're going to have to pay whatever they want for it, basically. So I think the solution here is to stop buying BMWs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. BMW has the problem of, like, uh, they do have competitors. Like, maybe there's no competitor for CarPlay for, you know, I want integration with my iPhone in such and such a way. But you can buy another luxury car that has CarPlay that doesn't charge you this much. And one of the points I've seen from people talking about this in terms of pricing is like, well, if you get a three-year lease and it's 80 bucks, it's still cheaper than a $300 upfront option, which is kind of true. And like in the grand scheme of things, given like, you know, like how much they charge for the different paint color, it's like an additional $2,500 or whatever. Like if you add it all up. The number of absurd things you're going to pay way more for for the life of this BMW that you'll happily pay for because you want the sparkly red paint or whatever dwarfs this CarPlay thing. But the CarPlay thing just just feels punitive because yeah, everyone else is giving it to you for free, and there's not even a hint of a justifiable reason for it to be an ongoing eternal payment, and so it just annoys people. So I think BMW will this is what will either happen: either BMW will reverse this. Or every other luxury car maker will do the same thing. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's true. It's just, I don't know. It's just so frustrating because I, I, I know like in my brain that this is a completely unsurprising thing for a luxury car manufacturer to do. Like the things that BMW charges for, like up until recently and maybe still to this day, they they had a tremendous upcharge for for xenon headlamps or the high intensity discharge headlamps. I, I guess they're LEDs now in all likelihood, but for years when when high high intensity discharge headlamps were a thing, BMWs would still have that as an option. Like my generation, the the early 2010s oh yeah my my, my first say, my, my three series that was that generation i didn't get the hids they were too expensive right exactly and i will see them constantly to this day then you, you can tell you know what what is hids and what doesn't but that seemed preposterous to me like i'm not saying that it shouldn't necessarily be paid for but come on it's an option really like you're buying a bmw you're buying a mercedes you're buying an acura whatever the case may be like that's that should just be part of the car and I don't know. This just seems like such a preposterous, absurd thing to nickel and dime people over. And it's not as bad as Porsche, from what I understand, who I guess is the the kings and queens of nickel and diming. But it's just gross. And I think BMW has been heading more and more this way over time. And it just grosses me out. And here again, I just I don't know what car I should get if I get a new car because I'm screwed no matter what. What happened to the ultimate driving machine? They don't even use that, that slogan anymore. I love that slogan. I mean, to be fair, like 
every BMW owner has always had this progression with the company, and it just rolls into different times. It's like, yep, every BMW owner for the history of BMW has always said, "Whatever happened to the BMW that made you know my first car?" You know, <laughs> like now the ones they make today are crap. But whatever <laughs> happened to the MacBook Pros with better keyboards? Am I right, Marco? Well, it's a little bit, a <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. little, little bit different uh, when the failure rate changes so dramatically. Who was it? Uh, I think Kieran Healy or maybe it was him or someone else tweeted a picture of an old power book. And I was, all I could think of looking at that is like, look at the travel on those keys. <laughs> full size keyboard keys like they it's before they even started really flattening them out. Like they look like just full size mechanical keyboard keycaps, right? Yeah. They probably have more travel than the than the total thickness of the current MacBook Pro line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. 